0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. I want to uh, continue with uh, our study, and we may be getting very, very close to an end here on this series. I trust that it has been something to bless you. And so perhaps uh, today or maybe Wednesday we may bring this to a close. But uh, this morning I want to talk about something that I've obviously taught on several times through the years. I want to talk about the Christian family. And I realize that, that right out of the gate there are many challenges that we face because what we're going to be talking about this morning from the Word of God would be what some could deem an ideal situation, but I realize that we don't live in a world of ideal situations. We live with a lot of brokenness and hurt and heartache and things of that nature. And so this morning, as I talk about the Christian family from the perspective of the Word of God, I want you to please understand that I am doing so in with great deference to your particular situation, whatever that may be. You may be from a broken home and or marriage. Um, and so I am not here this morning attempting to pour salt in your wounds or to make you feel uncomfortable in any in any way. But at the same time, I also bear a tremendous responsibility to uphold the word of God. and uh, And so with that, we just move forward and we talk about the foundations upon which we should be building our relationships not only as husbands and wives with one another, but then also our relationships to our children and then children to their parents. And so this morning, um, with that said, I I just wanted to begin our service this way just to give me a few more minutes uh, today. I'm, I'm just gonna ask you to open your mind and your heart to the principles of the Word of God because what you're going to hear today is not necessarily going to be new if you've been in or around church very long, but it will be adverse to what we see played out in the in the world all around us. And so the principles of God's Word just seem to fly in the face of our modern society on every front. And so when we look at... Uh, uh, when we look in the word of God, I'm just going to, again, just say, keep your mind, your heart open to the principles that we find here in in these passages. When we look at God's divine order for the home, and let me just pause a minute. God does have a divine order for the home, and so that's something that we can't get away from, so I'm going to talk quite a bit about that divine order. But when we look at the divine order of the home, it stands in stark contrast to the to the modern philosophy of the world in which we live today. And, uh, and so because of the mindset of, that, of, of the world, I, I almost feel like I have to approach this subject with a little bit of measured caution, not intimidation. I don't want you to in, in think that, but the Word of God has much to say. And so this is what we need to be reaching back for is the Word of God. And let's build on those principles today. God has structured the family and our homes along clear cut lines of authority and responsibility. And so it's vital to recognize the structure uh, of divine order. Divine order is an order of, uh, of authority and it is an order of responsibility, and it is all spelled out in the Word of God. And so. The principles that we're talking about are not just the ideas of Steve Boyd or not just the ideas of Hatchman Apostolic Church or any any movement of any sort. We're just talking about the Word of God. I think there's a wonderful, beautiful balance that can be discovered in the Word of God for the unit that we refer to as family. There's a balance that can be found there. There's a beauty that can be found there there's a beauty that can be found in the words honor and love and submit and obey there's a beauty in that and and what we are swimming upstream against today is the is the is the philosophy of our world we are inundated with that on a daily basis everywhere we turn and so i have your attention for a very limited amount of time and so the attention that I have, I don't stand a chance against the attention that other things have in as far as time and influence and things of that nature. And so uh, the family today is almost scoffed at and, and uh, uh, is certainly not to be revered in the minds of many. But it's my desire this morning to look at the word of God and then discover from the word of God some principles and bring them into my home, into your home, and then cultivate them. And uh, I want to just uh, say that again in this, in this sense that you can't take what we're going to talk about today home and put it on the shelf and think, well, you're on your own. Hope everything works out all right. got to cultivate these principles. you got to do something to keep them alive. If you're going to be, if you're going to have anything healthy or anything happy, you're going to have to be intentional about it. And, uh, so we need to understand these principles. We have Jesus Christ as the head of the husband and Jesus is the Lord of the family. The husband is the head of the wife or the chief authority in the home. The wife is the helpmeet to the husband according to Genesis 2, 18 and many other principles of that throughout the word of God. And then there are children who are to res- obviously to be loved and nurtured by the parents, but the children's responsibility then in turn is to respect and be obedient to parents. These principles are found in many places, but if I could turn your attention to 1 Corinthians eleven three, Paul said, I would, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And then here are the principles that refer to the children in Colossians 3 and 20. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And so the husband lives, if we, could, if we could draw a picture in your mind today, that the husband lives under the authority of, of Christ and, and is responsible to Christ for the leadership and the care of the family. There's a lot of responsibility that goes with the title of husband and father because we abide under the authority of Jesus Christ But that authority is not just authority that we flex our muscles and do whatever we want because we not only abide under his authority, but we're responsible for that authority. What we do with our influence, what we do uh, with the authority that God has given us. The wife lives under the authority of her husband and then is responsible to him. Uh, When I say responsible to him, I don't mean that to draw a word image in your mind of cowering in fear, but I think when a woman is under the headship of her husband, there she finds security, not just physical security, but spiritual security. Amen. And so there, there should be that physical and spiritual security. The children then live under the authority of both parents, and they are commanded to honor and obey them. And again, I would say that same word picture should be drawn about our children, that they shouldn't live under the authority of our parents cower, of their parents cowering in fear and dread, but they, but but children should find security, physical security, and spiritual security in the home, and uh, and so since the above order is so clearly spelled out in the Bible, then I think it would behoove us not to try to alter that, not to try to just modify that in any way. The only thing I need to do is comply. I just need to say, this is my job, this is my job title, and uh, I've been asked to do many things through the years, and I always appreciate when someone asks me to do something, I'm talking about way of job or responsibility, if you'll give me a job description. I want to know. If you'll just tell me what, I want to know where the lines are. You've asked me to do this. I don't want to underdo it, but I don't want to overdo it, so just give me a job description I work well with job descriptions, or work better with job descriptions, and so the scripture has given us a job description here, and the, these are our responsibilities, and uh, so when we start trying to change the divine order, what God has set up, I promise you the end result of that will be confusion, and God's not the author of confusion, and so let's just talk about this, this is not necessarily in chronological order, I'm just speaking, and uh You know, you got to be careful where you start. If you start with the ladies, they get offended. If you start with the men, they get offended. But i got to start somewhere. Amen. So we're going to talk Ephesians 5 and 22. The scripture says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. So I just chose to go ladies first. I should have said that. That seems to work in other scenarios, so maybe I don't know. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I want to drop down several verses here and, and go to Ephesians five thirty three. The Bible says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wives see that she reverence her husband so here's two passages of scripture that we draw from these two passages two principles two principles that sum up the responsibility that a wife has to her husband and they are two words that are uh, somewhat antiquated by modern standards but they are certainly as relevant as they have ever been in the mind of God and one of those words would be submission and the other is reverence and so I want to look at these words one at a time a little bit closer. The word submission is one of the most beautiful and powerful concepts in the New Testament. If we could understand the value, and I want to speak to a broader audience in this statement than just wives to their husbands, and I want to speak beyond just the ladies for a moment. But if the entire body of Christ only understood the power of submission, the power of submission, When you submit yourself, see, we think submission, and I understand submission is this way, but the Bible lets us know, contrary to our thinking, that if you want to go up, you need to go down. If you want to be elevated, you need to be abased, and so in submission, then we garner the attention of God, and so if I will get back on track here now, I think submission is a beautiful concept. To be submissive means to yield humble and intelligent obedience to an ordained power or authority. That doesn't mean that when you are submissive to your husband that you have just all of a sudden become a floor mat for the whole world. Let's talk about that again. Submissive means to yield an humble and intelligent obedience to an ordained power or authority. And so when we submit ourselves to that that's already been ordained of God to submit to and yield to, amen, then we are in the will of God. God didn't give this law um, of wives being submissive to their husband because he has some grudge against women. I've I've had ladies through the years get rather sideways with me about things that the apostle Paul wrote. And uh, I didn't write it. <laughs> so, so here, here, <laughs> I am not the author. I, I, I'm, I'm just the mailman. And so you wouldn't shoot the mailman. So don't shoot me. And when I'm talking about sideways, I mean sideways. And uh, well, I, you know, on and on and on. And uh, what we have to understand is that that God doesn't have a grudge against women. The apostle Paul didn't have a grudge against women by any stretch of the imagination. It's quite the opposite. Remember, God created this. God made this. He established this order for the protection of a woman in the harmony and the protection of harmony in our home. God honors those that that choose freely to obey God and obey their husband. And I I think a, a wife's primary responsibility is to give herself, her time, and her energy to her husband, to her children, and to her home. Now, this does by no means exempt a lady from having any responsibility or responsible positions of leadership, I should say, perhaps, and still be in the plan of God. We're not saying that we'll take care of this. You just stay home. Keep the floors mopped and all the children fed. That's not what the Bible is indicating here. I think that ladies can be can be powerfully used of God. But no matter. There is still an authority. And there is still a submissiveness. Now this is my next statement. You know Paul every now and then would just say something. And he would kind of preface it by saying this This is Paul speaking. I'm just saying something myself here. And so let me just say this as something that I am just simply saying myself. I believe that a lady can be powerfully used of God. Even a lady can speak publicly in public forums and settings and be powerfully anointed and used of God and still be ladylike. She doesn't have to step out of her role. She doesn't have to step out of her uh, her, of her uh, I'm afraid to say what's on my mind but she didn't she, <laughs> she doesn't have to step out of her uh, of her gender so to speak you don't need to preach like a man just just let God powerfully mightily use you amen I know there are many many ladies who fit into this category but one of the most recent speakers, uh, or one of the speakers at our most recent ladies' conference that I just happen to personally know, who has what I'm talking about nailed down would be Sister Nan Pamer. Sister Paymer can speak with great authority and with great anointing upon her life and still remain very, very ladylike. And so... I think the Old Testament, the New Testament, we can find many, many, many women of God that were used in divine powers of leadership and we find that in the in the church today. And so it is within the pattern of divine order that the Lord releases blessings upon us. See, we can't just do something and say, now, Lord, bless this. We've got to, uh, as Brother Darrell Johns many years ago preached at camp, we've got to live a life that God can bless. We've got to stay blessable. <laughs> If we want God to bless us, you can't, we can't just go do our own thing and then ask God sort of just sign off on it at the end of the day, rubber stamp it. And so we have to live within this divine order. And then as we live within this divine order, it's through this principle that God will make you a blessing to your husband, to your home, to your children, to your church, to your community. It's a beautiful thing, ladies, a beautiful thing. Then we come to the word reverence. Note how emphatically Paul states in Ephesians 33 that the wife is to reverence her husband. And, uh, you know, uh, the question that comes up often, even today, and obviously came up then, uh, was uh, what about unsaved husbands? How, you know, there seems to be this conflict in the home when you have... a, a, a. Wife who has the Holy Ghost and and, and is saved, and perhaps a husband who is unsaved. Well, Simon Peter deals with this in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He said, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. The word conversation there is, of course, not about chatter and talk, but it is about lifestyle. And so they can be won by the lifestyle. Of their wives, while they behold, he said, "Verse two: While they behold your chaste conversation, or your chaste, your chaste lifestyle, coupled with fear, they're watching you. They're they're watching you how you how you handle yourself, how you deal with things. And so Peter gives clear cut instructions as to, as to how a Christian wife can win an unsaved husband." To the Lord just through her lifestyle. The Apostle Peter exhorts the wife, don't don't just talk about the Lord, but just live it. Just live it at home. Live it at home everywhere you go and, and let that lifestyle convert them. The unsaved husband would be one then to the Lord. You know how? By holy living. By righteous living, just by the lifestyle that, that is lived out before them. So a wise, modest manner of living uh, together with her reverence for her husband would cause this man to yield himself to God and obey the gospel. What a great promise. <laughs> now let's talk about the husband's responsibility to the wives. The book of Ephesians 5 and 25 The Bible says husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. For the sake of time, I wanna move to to 1 Peter 3 and 7. The Bible says likewise ye husbands dwell with them, speaking of wives, according to knowledge given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. And so we find in Ephesians an important word called love. And then Simon Peter talks about another important word and that is honor. And so a husband is explicitly commanded to love his wife. That is a mandate that has been placed upon the shoulders of men. Note in Ephesians five that the husband is told three times to love his wife. Now, while the scripture puts great emphasis on the submission of a wife, The scriptures also put equally strong emphasis on the fact that the husband must love his wife. And we're not talking about false love, pretentious love, superficial love, but a real love. We're talking about Christ-like love, genuine love. The love may not always be a feeling of affection because love is primarily not a feeling. Love is a choice. We need to be really... uh, I think a little bit more bold about this subject of love because sometimes we treat it like it's a mere accident. We fell in love. We, we use all kind of words, but really the bottom line is we choose to love. You choose who you're going to love. I will um, quote someone who I, I heard said this at uh, our late National Youth Congress and... Uh, I think someone posted this recently concerning that, but I've heard it and read it before now, but it it just bears to be underlined. If a person is not worth marrying, then you don't need to be dating them. Because the purpose, the sole purpose of dating is not just about milkshakes and hamburgers. Amen? Well, you got a little tiny bit tight there, but yeah. it's the truth. Right. And if, if they won't work when you're dating, they're not gonna—they're not gonna have an epiphany later. Right. <laughs> While I'm in trouble, I'll just throw that out there. Right. I know you think you can change them, but I'm gonna tell you, sorry is a hard thing to get rid of. I better stay with my notes here. (laughs) It's a hard thing. It keeps coming home. It keeps coming home. Brother, brother Adrian, you think nutgrass is hard to get rid of? (laughs) We've been talking about that lately. Love is, is a, not only a choice, but love is one of the highest choices that we'll ever make. To say that I'm going to love someone. That's a big decision. That's a word tossed around real, 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 real loose in our world today. You know, people that are little children, eight, nine years old, they're in love. <clears throat> so I understand puppy love is real to the puppy. I get that. But it's a love. It, a love is a high honor. That's a choice that we make. And so a husband must not only be a man of prayer, a man of, of, of the word of God, a man of the church, a man of honesty, a man of integrity, but a man must be also someone that shows every day in his life Christ's love, that Christ-like love. Everywhere, not just at church, Our children don't need, and our wives don't need to be perplexed by the guy they go to church with versus the guy they live with. That somewhere there's this huge change coming down 349, somewhere 349 480. All of a sudden we just kind of blossom into this Christianity, and you get here, and you're the friendliest thing, and everybody just thinks you're just a blast to be around, and your whole family has has ridden in the car in sheer terror. (laughs) Don't make him mad don't make dad mad and all the way home and all we don't need to be two different people man i really kind of feel the holy ghost in this that we don't need to be that man that's pretentious that's hypocritical that's wrong that's sinful that's sinful because there's no way our wives can respect us they may they may love us because of the position we're the father of their children and 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 on and, and on and on they may love us to a certain degree but have no respect for us. Amen. I, I want my wife not only to love me but I want her to respect me amen <laughs> Well, let's move on we need to we need to be that man that shows Christ's love to everybody now without it mar- marriages are doomed to fail without that I'm very serious another word that that Simon Peter used was the word honor and it is, it is in translation, hear me now, the same Greek word that we find in 1 Peter 1.19 when it speaks about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.19 talks about this precious blood, precious. And so the word precious there is the word honor in translation is the same Greek word that Peter later used to describe the blood of Christ. He called it precious and so when we're talking about honor, we're not just talking about oh, honor. We're talking about precious, something that's precious. I'm going to tell you something that you would not, you would not commit adultery against someone that you think is precious. You would not fornicate against something that you think is precious. If it is, if it is this top shelf thing, amen, you would not, and let's just let's just bring it a little closer home, men. It's just that wrong to flirt with somebody. So there's no sense in throwing yourself out there like you're available when you're in the coffee shop if what you got at home is considered precious. Precious. I I would, it would be real convenient. It would just be extremely helpful if that after we got married no more good looking men would be born if from that moment forward just everybody was just snaggletooth and cross-eyed and <laughs> ball-headed and pot-belly it would just be ideal it would be marvelous cuz you would but you see there's always going to be nicer looking men nicer looking women there's always going to be uh always and so It doesn't mean that that someone pouring your coffee or someone that showed up to fix your refrigerator is not more handsome or not more beautiful. But what if you have at home or what you have at work is precious? Precious. I've got something more precious than this. Amen. And so we got to be very, very careful in that because... The scripture says that we are to deem our wives as precious and then treat them with honor. And the scripture warns that when a husband does not treat a wife tenderly or does not honor her. Now here's what the, the scripture says, that our prayers will be hindered. And so I try to drive this home as often as I can to men because, because our relationship to our wife is connected to our relationship with God. So this is not just about not just about how we treat one and versus how we treat the other. They're connected. Because you can't just you can't just be a tyrant and just be just, just like trying to live with, with a tyrant and then and then pray. And tell the Lord how much you love him and how much you adore him and how marvelous and how wonderful. Because our prayers are hindered because of how we treated the person that he created to be our helpmate. He took her from our side. We're missing a rib over this. Am I right? We're missing a rib over this. He took something away from us forever. And the only way we can be complete is when he brings that back to our side. Amen. Praise God. Before June the 11th of 1980, I was walking around with missing parts. (laughs) It's the truth. truth. I stood in front of our pastor with a young lady that was under the veil. We did lift the veil. I had read about that Leah deal. (laughs) 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 I want to make sure we didn't get into that again. But I got my rib back. I became whole. Men, our wives make us whole. I'm not trying to be comedic here. I'm really, I'm really not. But I'm just saying that, that we are incomplete without them. They complete us. They literally complete us. <laughs> Generally, this is not ever good because it's... <laughs> He has a hard time finding the off switch once he gets going there. <laughs> but we are complete in him. So we get com- completeness, wholeness. So when we are saying, I will, I do, this is not about just taking on responsibility. It's not about having somebody to wash our clothes. It's not about having somebody to clean our house or you know, fix us a meal. This is about wholeness and completeness. God said, I'm gonna take something from you, Adam, but with it, I'm gonna create something to bring back to your side. I know that it was that your mind is probably already there, but I, I will say it that, that God did take our wives or did take woman from our side, and I think that when He brings them back to us, He brings them to our side. There is divine order. He doesn't put them in front of us to lead us, He doesn't put them behind us to just kind of be some secondary thought. He puts them beside us that we would walk together. And so men, we understand that our spiritual victory, our walk with God uh, demands a personal relationship with my own family to be right. I've got to be in right order with them if I'm gonna be in right order with him. Yes. And so see, sometimes the ladies can only, especially modern ladies and secular thinking ladies hear the word obey and submit and all this. We ain't having nothing to do with all that. I've had none of my pastor friends, thankfully, have ever faced this. But I've had pastors, uh, other pastors, talk to me about young couples that want to, them to be to, them to perform their ceremony. But we're not going to use any words of obey. We're not going to use anything. So I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't involve myself in that because it's not biblical. It's not biblical. You you're missing the you're missing the most important thing. You want that in your life. You want that in your life. I promise you. I, Lord, I must move. The blessings of the Lord depend upon this. A true marriage is, I think, essentially, at its very essence, is spiritual. The essence of marriage, the essence of family is spiritual. And I know all this kind of gets lost in in jobs and children and paying mortgage payments and making vehicle payments and insurance, and I know all of the essence of The family, the the spiritual essence of all that can really get bludgeoned to death just in the daily grind of life, just trying to get it all done. But the essence of marriage is spiritual as well as personal and physical. Therefore, staying in love is primarily, I said that to say this, therefore, staying in love is primarily, are you ready for this? A spiritual battle. because you don't need to just love you need to stay in love and you need to love your children with everything that you have all that you have honor them and respect them and nurture them and do your best but you need to do your best with one thing in mind they're leaving they're on their way out as I speak they're marching out of your life not out of your life completely but they're marching to a different role And after a while, if everything you have centered your whole life and marriage around are your children, and then they're gone, you got two strangers living in the house. And so you need to stay in love with one another. Amen. And you just have to enjoy life, life together as much as you can. It all changes. Certainly, things change. And and uh, but uh, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare that we're in. And so it's the reason that surrender to God is so important for a happy relationship. Because if you love one another, it's going to show. <laughs> if you really love one another, it's going to show. I'm not speaking about being distasteful in public, and I want to clear that up real here, real. Make that real clear here. I don't mean to be distasteful in public, but there's something about our actions toward one another that's just gonna let the world know. I I read the scripture a lot when I'm talking about this. I'm going here today in Genesis 26. The Bible says in Genesis 26 and eight, and it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the the king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebecca his wife. Now the scripture uses the word sporting and I don't let I don't want your mind to uh, to wander too far because I'm not trying to be lewd uh, here at all. But I do think from Genesis twenty six and eight that we can clearly understand that that Isaac was sent a clear message to Abimelech because if you remember the scripture, Isaac had told Abimelech that, that Rebekah was his sister because he was afraid that something ill would happen and so he told a lie about the situation. He said, no, that's not my wife, this is my sister and then later Abimelech looks out the window and he sees something that that kind of counteracted what he had told him earlier and so whatever... Um, whatever you want to take away from the word sporting there, I think there was a, there was nothing left in the mind of Abimelech that this is obviously not a sister. And so I don't ever hug my wife in public so that other people will know that I love her. I love I hug her because I want her to know that I love her. And so, uh, you know, some people are so rigid uh, talking about, What do you call it? Uh, Public displays of affection. PDA, is that what it's called? PDA? And um, some people are so, uh, they're so hung up on things like that, you need to relax a little bit. Amen? And, uh, and, you know, I don't just sweep my wife down on the sidewalk and (laughs) plant a kiss on her (laughs) while we're waiting at a restaurant to be seated. But I think there's just something about our body language. There's just something about there's just something about that that I I, I want to convey that to convey that. And so I think when we see that uh, that obviously here Isaac was conveying to Rebecca and to the world, this is my wife. I love her and I, I I'm thankful for that. I want to talk about parent and child responsibilities in the New Testament. Teaching concerning the responsibilities of parent to children and children to parents is summarized in the following verses. I, I'm, I've done my best to try to whittle this down to, to as condensed as I possibly can. But Colossians 3 and 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. But Here, here comes verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And that word discouraged. Discouraged is a lot deeper than what we think about the word discouraged. You can still, you know, I know that we have to break our children's will as parents. We have to break, especially if you have a strong-willed child, you had better break their will. You had better harness their will. But you don't want to break their spirit. And I know that's a difficult line sometimes to find depending on the situation. But that's that's what verse 21 is talking about. Don't break the spirit of your children. But uh, lest you don't provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged, lest you break their spirit. And there are children, sadly today, whose spirits have been so irrevocably broken, destroyed. Amen. And so it's very, very careful. We have to be very careful. And I want to just speak specifically to our fathers here for just a moment. You know, my mother got onto me all the time because she was mom. You know what I mean? Well when my dad said something, it could just wound me to the gut. There was a difference. I see some heads I see some heads nodding. And uh, I remember my father actually physically correcting me three times in my life. I probably needed way more than that. But I remember my father getting involved three times. But he got so involved that at 53, I can still remember all three times. (laughs) I I can tell you where we were, what led up to it. (laughs) He got very involved. But fathers, we need to be very careful very careful because our voices are coming from a completely different angle and you can break the spirit of a child you can break the spirit of a child and uh, I've always been teasing our home and that's carried over to here about my eyebrows I apparently do weird things with my eyebrows when I'm not <laughs> when something's out of out of kilter and, and Justin would always say mom, mom, his eyebrows <laughs> mom, his eyebrows you know, I just almost want to stand in the room and just hold them in place. Whatever, I'm still unaware of what they're doing. But there have been times my wife would say, "Right there, look in the mirror. Right there, keep that, hold that, hold that, hold that. Look, walk into the bathroom. That's what we're talking about." Can I confess and tell you that I've been so curious about this through the years that I've I've tried to carefully make my I'm trying to carefully make my way. Hey, I didn't have to confess that. I'll tell you that. I didn't have to confess that. But I want, I want to see. I want to see what this is. That, and so we have to be very careful. So if your eyebrows can do something, just think about what the tenor of your voice and just that heavy handedness. It can inflict wounds that won't heal. And so we've got to be very careful. So that's why I think, that, I think that's why Paul said, fathers, fathers, provoke not your children. Because there is something about the voice of a father. And I know this is not my notes, but let me tell you this. Fathers, on the other hand, and I'm not taking away from the accolades of mothers, but, you know, mothers are proud about everything. <laughs> just leave a little note. just The least little thing in moms are just, they're just like, like confetti. They're just... but when a father affirms something you know how many men and women there are today staggering through life because they never had an affirmation of a father to say I love you I'm proud of you you can do this you can do this I'm, I know you ladies are catching the spirit of this. I'm not minimalizing your accolades and your rally. I'm not minimalizing that at all, at all, at all. But fathers, we, our voices matter. Our voices matter. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment. With promise that it may be well with thee and that you may live well along on the earth, rather. A child's responsibility to the Lord is in direct relationship to obedience, which gives which he gives to his parents. And I know that our children, for the most part, are not here with us today, so I'm not gonna spend a, a lot of time uh, on that. But I, I will just tell you this so that I can kind of stay in, in line with what I'm talking about, that even though children test parents' authority to see how far they can go, if any, any wise parent sitting in this house will agree with me today. Deep down inside, children want to know where the parent's authority is and if they're gonna stand firm. They want to know I can depend on this. They may rebel against it, but I'll tell you what they'll rebel even greater against, and that is the lack of parental authority. Children want to know where the lines are. Their safety and security. You may ruin their afternoon, but you didn't wreck their life. You may ruin their plans for the next three days, but you didn't interrupt the next three years. There's a lot of grown people sitting in this room today that the older we get, our children, our our parents rather, they they get wiser and wiser and wiser by the day. Some of our parents have been gone for decades now, and now we just we see them through a completely different lens. We understand. And we're so thankful there was a line, so thankful there was authority, so thankful that there was correction, thankful that someone said, No, you're not going to do that. Amen. So as parents, we need to, uh, we could summarize the apostles' commands uh, to parents to love, discipline, and teach. The simple outline of parental responsibility is patterned after the way that God deals with us as children. One of the most urgent needs today in, in, in our Christian homes would be for parents to recognize their God-given responsibility and authority as it relates to their children. And so when God gives us responsibility, he doesn't just give us responsibility, but he gives us authority to carry it out. And so a parent who is in the divine order of God has you ready? God-given authority. Right. And so that we we've got to exercise that God-given authority for the well-being and the salvation of our family. And so what happens when parents make a wrong decision or give poor instructions to their children? Amen. I'm going to hear I'm coming in for a landing here. But here's what we really must do. What happens when a parent makes a wrong decision? Or, or what happens when, when we perhaps handle a situation wrong or give poor instructions to our children? Please hear me today. I, may, I know that what I'm about to say may really cut against the grain, but just if you've got to take it home in spoonfuls, just take it home in spoonfuls today. But when we realize that we have erred, we should never hesitate to, to confess that genuine mistake to our children and ask for forgiveness. Some people are so full of themselves and so full of ego, they think, if I, well, if I go tell my son I was wrong, then I'm going to lose authority. No, you're not going to lose authority. When they know that you are a man enough or woman enough to say, you know, I didn't handle this right, and, and uh, in the future, I'm going to handle this differently. You're not undercutting your authority. You're establishing your authority, and you're going to teach them that it's okay to say, I, I was wrong. I blew that. I didn't, I didn't handle that right. I lost my cool. Any parents here ever lost your cool? Sure. And so our authority is not derived from ourselves our, and, and from our flawless performance as a parent. That's not even where we get our authority. It's not derived from our children's acceptance of that authority. The authority that we have as parents depends on God who has set that authority in us over them. And so God honors and honest and I think open repentance in, in, in a child or a parent. And so the fear that you're going to lose your status or the fear that we would somehow lose our authority with our children by confessing our own mistakes, I'm not talking about the mistakes of your life, I'm just talking about in your relationship with them, in your relationship is a lie. That is a lie. And here's why. Our authority is not, not, it doesn't come from us. It comes from the Lord. Our authority is actually confirmed and strengthened when you have the courage to be honest, the courage to be honest. And so as parents we need to be as honest and demanding of ourselves as we want our children to be with themselves. And so, in closing, if our musicians will make their way, I will, I will close with just a few more points. These are some responsibilities that as parents we have, and we must accept them. I think one of the responsibilities as parents that, that, <clears throat> that we must declare as parents, we must declare the Word of God in our home. Amen. Please don't leave everything up to Sunday school teachers, student ministry leaders, children's church directors, ministers. I think that parents, I think it's clear in Scripture that by precept and by example, we should teach our children how to serve the Lord. Amen, Jewish fathers of the Old Testament were expressly commanded to be faithful in this manner. Now, some of you have heard these scriptures so many times you could almost quote them, but Deuteronomy 6 and 6, after we hear about, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, but Deuteronomy 6 and 6 and 7, the Bible says, and these words which I command these days shall be in thy heart. Put them in your heart. And then in verse 7, he says, and Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. In other words, we need to be a living example in our home, in our home of the word of God. This word, this word should be, a, here's what should happen at church. The word should be affirmed. In the in the lives of our children by Sunday school teachers, you know what? You know what? You know what? Sister Rayleigh, that's what my dad said this week. You know what? You know what, brother Daryl. My mom said that this week. We read that scripture this week. Those things should be affirmed when the preacher is in the pulpit preaching. There ought to be a light that goes on in their in their minds that says, "You know what? We I heard about. My mom taught me this. My dad taught me this. We heard about this. Bible teaching in the home is so desperately needed. You know why? Because the world is working overtime. I'm gonna use a very strong word here, but hear me out today. Please hear me. The world is working overtime to molest the minds of our children. That's why we can't be cavalier about that. That's why we can't be relaxed about this. That's why... We just can't say, well, easy come, easy go, or que okay, sirrah We've got to be intentional about this. Every day, every day they are being exposed to the philosophy that there is no God, that your God is helpless, that your God is hapless. There is no such thing. They're being exposed to that every day, every day. That's why the Lord said, you need to talk about this, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Share your own life experiences with them. It's needed to undergird and strengthen the teaching of, that they're going to hear here. Amen. Prayer. Prayer as parents seem to have a special power with God that counts in heaven. I believe that. We must pray and intercede for, spirit, for their spiritual survival. Now, I understand that we all live in the real world. Completely get it. But our children, we should have prayer with our children every day before they go to school. <clears throat> I know we can't always fit 45 minutes of prayer in. But there ought to be some prayer. Amen. Some prayer that's prayed with them, over them. Amen. And and I I understand there are days that this life steals that from us. But I'm going to tell you, that ought to be the exception and not the rule. We can't neglect our responsibilities. I'm going to tell you what, Satan fears praying parents. (laughs) Yes, he does. Yes, he, you know why some of you are here today because you had a praying mother or a praying father a praying mother grandmother a praying grandfather we're here today because of that we're alive we're still in this world because somebody was making intercession for us and so you know what I'm more worried about than making sure my son has something to inherit amen literally in this life I want him to have some spiritual foundations to stand on Amen. I'm I'm far more worried about that than anything else that may wind up in his name. I mean, and the wheel may just be a few lines, the literal will, but I hope that underneath all of that legal jargon there is something in his heart that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Give that gift to your children. If we'll be as diligent about making sure they have that as having other things, we'll be okay because Satan is afraid of praying parents. Protection, amen. I'm I'm, I'm going to end in three minutes. Spiritual principalities and powers swarm. Yes, they do. Paul distinctly said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Second Corinthians four and four says that Satan is the god of this world, and his and demons inhabit the atmosphere. Oh yes, and so such conditions sanctify the home. Amen, like prayer. We've got to pray a prayer a protection, a blanket, a, a hedge. We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray. I remember several years ago when we we went from, uh, we went from, I wish I hadn't made that three-minute comment, but we went from getting our house, <laughs> we went from getting our house sprayed on the inside to having an external treatment. I was a little concerned about that because I kind of like, you know, that uh, every room, every everything's gonna be, I was kind of concerned that that wouldn't take but, but we, we've done real well with that for several years now and I can't help but make a spiritual application on, the, on those days that I'm home and I see that guy coming around our house. He just walking around the house he's just around the house. He doesn't open the door, doesn't come in. He's just putting something around the house. I make a spiritual application to that. I think if man can devise something that can keep all of that out and not even come in this door. <laughs> Whew, I'm gonna walk around this house. I'm gonna walk around this house. I'm gonna put something down. I'm gonna lay something in the footer. I'm gonna lay something on the foundation. I'm gonna put something there. My family needs this. My children need this. My wife needs this. Hey, hey. Oh, y'all Hey, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's just remain standing. I'm gonna put something down. I'm gonna lay something down. I'm gonna lay it down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. pest control man can come before you even build your house before you even pour your floor and in today's market put something down that will last a lifetime against termites that would eat your home from the inside out I want to put something in the foundation in the bedrock it's 11 o'clock start playing that, that counts that counts I want to put something in the bedrock that it lasts a lifetime. But you know what? If, if by some standard that something happens, they didn't tell us, you know, well, if something happens. I don't you just have to put your house on the market. Says so something happens. You ever have any problems with this? We'll come back and retreat it. We'll come back and do this again. So every day we need to be retreating, retreating, retreating. I feel this, Brother Gibson, in my heart. I feel this. the Christian home. Let's love the Lord. Can we do that? I love you today. Thank you for mothers and fathers and children. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you,
0: Lord. I
1: praise you, God. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. There's something here in the atmosphere this morning. (laughs) There's something here in this house today, this holy house. There's something here. There's something here. Amen, let this touch our heart. Let this touch our soul. Let this touch our soul today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Don't rush through this. Don't rush through this. Don't rush through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Praise your name, praise your name, praise your name.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic.